0: part of walking with the Lord is giving people an opportunity to call you out on your stuff. Listen, I have an opinion that when you go to address something with someone in humility and they say, don't judge me, that's how you know they're in a bad spot. Because that is the Christian way of saying, I don't really want to have to look at this right now. Who do you think you are to judge me that way? Now, don't get me wrong. We take the plank out of our own eye before we address a speck in somebody else's eye. But part of being part of a family of faith is allowing people to say, listen, you really need to start getting this part of your life together.
1: When you hold convictions, you'd like to believe that you'd hold fast to them when confronted with an opposing ideal. And for the church in Ephesus, they were doing just that. As Pastor Daniel examines what Jesus wanted this church to know, we'll see exactly why he considered their discernment to be so important. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of our message entitled Diagnosis, Just Add Love in Revelation chapter 2 verse 2.
0: experiences Jesus's presence and protection this is the revelation portion that the church gets the blessing of the presence of Jesus and the protection of Jesus now you might say well pastor Daniel where on the world did you get that from Right. Anybody else thinking that? Some people are like, yeah, I don't know. How'd you get there? Let me explain. Because notice what he says. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, this is a direct reference to Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. Look at what it says. So just go back one verse, the very last verse of chapter 1. It says, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So the book of Revelation begins with Jesus walking in the midst of these seven golden lampstands, holding these seven stars in his hand. And then he explains that the mystery of this is that the stars in in the hand, those are the angels, the seven angels of the seven churches, and those seven lampstands, each one of them is the church. So this is a picture of the leaders or an angelic caretaker and the churches. Now, when you think about it, he holds the seven stars in his right hand. That's a biblical picture. Remember, Jesus said, no one can snatch you out of my hand. It means to be protected by God. That's why I said the church experiences the protection of Jesus. That's, that's a place of safekeeping. For those of you who are parents, when your children get scared, what do they do? They run into your arms and you hold them. That's a place of protection for them. So the church experiences the protection of God. And not only that, Jesus is walking in the midst of the seven lampstands. Which, of course, means that Jesus is present within his church. Is it not true that Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, in my name what? I am in their midst. See, people like to say that, oh, what's church? It's just people getting together. No, no. When we gather together in the name of Jesus, whether we gather together in groups of twos and threes, or like what we do here on a Sunday, two, three. 4,000 people on a Sunday When we do that, Jesus is actually In our midst He spends time in the midst Of his people And so to the church in Ephesus Jesus is saying, look I am with you and I will protect you Now, how many of us Here today needed that reminder That God has not Forsaken you That God has not said, look, I'm out of here I'm tired of you We may say that to other people Other people may say that to us But that is not how Jesus is He holds you in his his hand And he walks in your midst Jesus is ever present And he cares about you No matter what you did last night No matter what's going on No matter how bad it is Jesus will never leave Nor forsake you Now we don't do crazy bad things So to prove that out but in the midst of the trials and struggles of life, he will protect you and he is with you. That might be the, the missing link to what it means to really walk with Jesus, that no matter where you are, Jesus is with you, because if you are born again, Jesus is in you. So you bring him along wherever you go. But Jesus protects you. Jesus is with you at all times. That's where this thing begins. That's the revelation. Now, look at what happens in verse 2, because now we start getting into the good portion of Jesus' checklist. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, but you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become Weary. Jesus gives a sevenfold commendation This church is rocking the casbah They got it going on Seven things that they're doing good What this teaches us is that Jesus doesn't miss a thing Jesus doesn't miss a thing He sees everything because he's in our midst I've heard it said that God loves us so much he can't take his eyes off of us. And that's a beautiful thought, isn't it? Kind of terrifying depending on what life looks like though. Because he doesn't miss a thing. He sees everything. He begins with, I know. That word knowing in the Bible, it denotes intimacy. How often do you read in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and Adam knew Eve, his wife? It speaks of covenant relationship, the deepest of intimacy. Jesus says, look, I know you. There are some of you in here today, maybe in the chapel, maybe watching online, hearing this later. You're running from God, but he knows everything about you. That's the thing about God. That's the thing about this, is that even though we try and pretend like God doesn't know us, we're like hiding out from God. He's God, and he doesn't miss a thing. He knows every single detail about you. And that's true of everybody, not only here in America, but in every tribe, nation, and tongue. Every single person across this globe of every generation until Jesus returns, God knows everything about you. He's numbered every hair on your head. He understands everything completely about who you are. And it's a lesson in futility to try and pretend like you're getting one over on God by saying, I don't believe in you. As if God needed our belief to exist. That'd be like saying, I don't believe you're my parents. Well, actually, I have the ultrasound picture. I remember when you were born. I don't believe. It doesn't make him not your parents. It just means that you're being Ignorant. And listen, ignorance may be bliss, but it's still ignorance. And I share that because, I mean, a lot of you know my story. I didn't grow up in the church. And I thought, ignorance I'm doing whatever I want to do. This is great. And I say, man, ignorance is bliss. Who cares? But you know what the problem with blissful ignorance is still ignorant. And ignorance has never been used as a, something that we should celebrate. God knows everything about you. Notice what they say to this church. They say, I know your works. I know your works. Scholars would say this is the general manner of life because we're all perpetually working, doing different things. Right? I know your works. He says, I know your labor. Speaks of our active manner of life. That which brings sweat to the brow. The things that we do to provide for our family, to take care of it. I know your patience, he says. Which speaks of our passive manner of life. Notice, works works. Labors and patience. You put these three together, pops up in your Bible. First Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 3 says this. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. I like this verse because it marries these three verbs, work, labor, and patience, with the triplets of Christian ethics, faith, hope, and love. Notice what it says. I know without ceasing your work of faith. The apostle Paul said we're saved by faith without works. So I know your work of faith. Why? Because true biblical faith works. It, it has an outgrowth, an action. Your labor of love, it says. Why? Because loving is hard and it's active. It's a choice to love. It's easy to dismiss and choose not to love. It comes very easy for us. So it's something that we labor in. We have to be active in. And, of course, our patience and hope. That's really where true patience comes from. We can be patient because we hope in God. That's why patience comes so hard for us, doesn't it? Because we really don't trust God. We're not willing to let God work a situation out so we get impatient to try and work it out. Where God is saying, listen, I want you to rest in me. Sure, you have hopes and dreams, but you can hope that no matter what's going to happen, it's going to come from my hand. And I have this taken care of. Not only that, in the middle of verse 2, that you cannot bear those who are evil. The idea of not bearing them means not continuing with them. This was a church that was not compromising. They weren't allowing evil to continue in their midst. That's an important part of the church, isn't it? We're called to grow. We're all in process, which means that even though none of us are perfect, we should all be able to look back on our lives and say, I'm not what I used to be, and I'm also not what I'm going to be, but I'm moving in the right direction. And so part of that, and people always say it all the time, oh, Christians are judgmental, or or you go to someone, you're like, listen, you know, I I saw your Facebook page, and you're like, what are you doing? You're out there, and there's beer bottles everywhere, and there's videos of you, and, you know, listen, you young kids, listen, you got to be careful with Facebook. Because once that thing's on the internet, it's not coming off. And I, I say it every day, I'm grateful I didn't grow up with Facebook. I would never be able to work in a church, Ever. I'm serious I mean, you guys are laughing I'm thanking God every day Thank you that Mark Zuckerberg wasn't born until after I was Because the stuff that I did growing up I was—I did not know the Lord And it was bad And some of you young people You're not thinking Because you're going to go to get a job They're going to look you up on Facebook And they're going to see what you did <laughs> No, no, I don't want you to be my nanny Thank you very much Oh, oh, you you want to work in our finance department? No, thank you. See, part of walking with the Lord is giving people an opportunity to call you out on your stuff. Listen, I have an opinion that when you go to address something with someone in humility, and they say, "Don't judge me," that's how you know they're in a bad spot. Because that is the Christian way of saying, "I don't really want to have to look at this right now." Who do you think you are to judge me that way? Now, don't get me wrong. We take the plank out of our own eye Before we address a speck in somebody else's eye But part of being part of a family of faith Is allowing people to say Listen you really need to start getting this part of your life together The church in Ephesus It wouldn't bear with those who are evil It wouldn't allow evil to proliferate in their midst They were a no compromising type of church And they're commended for this There's a passion for holiness In this church Not only that They're doctrinally sound as well. Look what it says. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. Now you have to realize if you come to Crossroads, right, and you're standing in the family room and somebody comes up to you and says, Oh, yeah, and starts spouting off all the stuff and it sounds totally weird, you can just go onto our website and you can look at, Hey, is this person part of the church staff? right back in the day there was no these are the pictures of the apostles there's Peter like you know and Bartholomew just like you know like there's no, so people would come to Ephesus saying that they were an apostle from Jerusalem and you couldn't tell the difference you didn't know you'd never been in Jerusalem you didn't know all the details so the church in Ephesus just didn't accept everything that everybody told them people would come and say oh yeah, I'm an apostle from from Jerusalem I've got the word of the lord and they didn't just accept everything And I think this is important because We live in a day and age where everyone's got an opinion about everything And we need to be biblical people Like the Bereans, Acts 17, 11, They were more sober-minded or fair-minded than those in Thessalonica For they searched the scriptures diligently To see if these things were so For 2,000 years people have been coming and trying to get the church all off base I mean, you read church history, it's a It's it's a tragedy to watch the church get into all these things that they never belonged in. But they they weren't sober-minded enough to say, to check God's word. Is this true? Is it true? And that shouldn't be so in our day and age, because we have more access to biblical information in an instant. In an instant. And listen, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Read your Bibles. If you have trouble finding a verse, you can, I mean, you can Google love in the Bible, grace in the Bible. You can Google it and you'll find it. You don't even need to carry a big old concordance anymore. I mean, it's amazing. You go to the different websites, just plug it in. But we should care about doctrine because listen, everything is theological. Whatever your doctrine is, that's how you live your life. I was so heartbroken, I was talking with someone, they were sharing with me about a a church, and it was a wedding, and the pastor came on in and said, well, you know, I'm the pastor, and I can stop anything I want to in this wedding. I'm like, what? As if it's about a pastor. It's about Jesus and the grace of God. You know, and we, as God's people, we need to go down deep in the gospel, and the gospel is simple. You can go into our kids' ministry. They'll tell you what it is. It's that we're a little messed up. God still loves us. He sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins and that God's working on us. That's the gospel. And we need to go down deep in that because it's all the people. Like, you can't be saved if you, if you believe in Jesus. And you have to have this done, too. And this done, too. And, oh, Pastor Daniel, you can't be a Christian and have dreadlocks. I hear that all the time. Like, oh, Pastor Bill Ritchie must be going liberal on us. That was my favorite one. I'm like, yeah, you know, God's grace just can't save me, you know. <laughs> See, what you believe drives who you are. And if you believe in a loving, gracious God, then you're going to be a loving, gracious person. You're still going to stand up for truth because our, Jesus is the truth. And when someone's off the deep end, we go and say, listen, I love you, but I think you're a little off the deep end. Can we talk about that? I'm not judging you. I love you. I just want to see. I want to take the next steps with Jesus too. See, the church in Ephesus just didn't accept everything that everyone told them. They searched the scriptures diligently. Are these things so? Notice, continuing on, verse 3, you have persevered and have patience. I like that. This is a church that doesn't quit. They keep persevering. They don't stop. Sure, it might get... Tiring at times, but it was a don't quit type of a place and then he ends his sevenfold Commendation all the things are doing well you have labored for my namesake and have not become weary So not only are they persevering But they have really rolled up their sleeves and they're keeping going they're not stopping That's a great what a great checklist of good things for a church It was great. I felt like I read that down. I'm like, man, that's a lot like Crossroads, man. 37, 38 years of ministry, laboring for the Lord, not stopping, not quitting, still going. So praise God. If you find your life in here, praise God. Jesus is proud of his church. But he doesn't just stop with the good. Jesus does want to get into where the issue is. Look at what it says. Look at what it says here in verse 4. Nevertheless, that's a terrible word to hear in the midst of being praised, right? It's all good, nevertheless. You're like, ah, oh, here it comes. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So the issue in the church of Ephesus is that they have left your first love. Now, it's interesting that Jesus was Yoda before Yoda was Yoda. Because the word order in the Greek is literally, your first love, you have left. Which sounds an awful lot like Yoda in Star Wars, right? Where you put, you guys don't do Star Wars? Okay. You could tweet that, that Jesus was Yoda before Yoda was Yoda. That's a good tweet. Okay, anyway. Your first love, you have left. What does it teach us? We need to let love remain fervent even as it matures. Let love remain fervent even as it matures. Jesus is saying, look, you're doing all this stuff great, but you've left your first love. And when I read this, and when scholars have read this, when you read it, you think about young love, right? You think about when a couple first falls in love, and they believe that God's called them to be married. And it's just like, you they can't see anything wrong with the other person. Right? I mean, that person has got it dialed in. And they just kind of float to their wedding day. Right? And then they get married. And you guys, you, you've been to weddings, right? And it's just like, they are just, ah, like, you're just like, you know, gag reflex every once in a while. <laughs> you know, and, and you're happy for them because it's young love. They're just, they're absolutely in love. And you're just like, you know. And then, of course, your wife comes over and says, do you remember when we were like that? And you're just like, yeah, I do remember when we were like that. The church in Ephesus loved God and people. But over time, they started to stray away from that young love. And that's why I say let love remain fervent even as it matures. No matter how long you've been married, your love should be fervent. No matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, Jesus doesn't get ho-hum over time. Just the way your spouse shouldn't get ho-hum over time. That's why there's that encouragement. And if you've ever heard this, as Mary, go back and watch your wedding video again every year on your anniversary. Because isn't something happens when you remember who you used to be? Before there was water under the bridge. Before all these things were swept under the rug. And you just love the other person. And you knew they were all messed up, but it didn't even matter at that point. You're like, look, I just love this person. I'm so excited that God has brought us together, that we're going to be married. But what happens is over time, we lose that young love. We start to remember all the trivial things that really don't matter. Or we have a bunch of big things that go on, and we don't let them off the hook. And I I know that this is a word for a lot of us. You might be saying, listen, Pastor Daniel, me and her, we've been married for... Twice as long as you've been alive, you don't realize all the stuff that's gone on. You know what the beauty is? Is God's love for you remains the same no matter who we are. So we need to let that love remain fervent. The church of Ephesus had all the right motions, but they lacked the proper devotion. They were doing so many things right, but they weren't absolutely overjoyed. Young love, although mature young love, For the Lord and for other people It reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 2 As Jeremiah began his ministry He said this to the children of Israel God said go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem Saying thus says the Lord I remember you The kindness of your youth The love of your betrothal When you went after me in the wilderness In a land not sown See God begins his critique Through Jeremiah to the people of Israel Because he's like, I remember what you were like when you first, when it first began, how you would have done anything.
1: Jesus is real. Just as we heard today in our study, churches today are bombarded by people coming in with false doctrines, leading people away from the truth of the gospel. The letter in Revelation to the Church of Ephesus commended the Church for being diligent in protecting the Word. Pastor Daniel also spoke about keeping each other accountable in our walks, helping one another to address our failings in humility and love. Now, here's Pastor Daniel.
0: Hi, this is Pastor Daniel. I hope that you are blessed as we studied God's Word together today. You know, it is so important that you're in fellowship at a local church. God does amazing things when we gather together in Jesus' name over his word. So listen, if you live in the Vancouver, Washington area, the Portland metro area, or if you happen to be passing through, we'd love for you to join us at Crossroads on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11.15 or in the middle of the week on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Even if you're not in our area, please reach out and connect with the church family right where you are. Listen, here's Josh with a sneak peek at what I'll be sharing in our next program.
1: Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, we move past the areas where the church in Ephesus was strong and see where they came up short. Pastor Daniel will give us a picture of what was happening in this church that will hit very close to home. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through our series entitled Case Study." That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.